Good morning, everybody. Let me try that again. Someone say welcome back. It's good to be home. Although I have to be honest, I kind of wish I was still in Israel, but that's, they made me come back. Um, Yeah, they asked me to leave, actually. No, they didn't. But uh, I felt like at times it was overstaying my welcome. But uh, here, let me teach you some, uh, some Hebrew. So every morning our guide would get on the bus and he would say, Bokor Tov, and to which we were to respond, Bokor Or. And then we would say, he would say, Bokor Or, and then we would say, Bokor Tov, which is, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. So I'm gonna practice that with you right now. Uh, this is in preparation for those of you that are coming with us on 2018 when we go back because there's still more to see. Uh, and uh, it really does, these amazing trips actually build on, on, on one another. So they're pretty, uh, they're pretty amazing. So I'll begin. Boker Tov, you say Boker Or, I say Boker Or, you say Boker Tov, okay? Boker Tov. Boker Or. Exactly, that's how we say uh, good morning. Um, uh, two weeks ago, in, on Sunday, we arrived and we were standing on this hillside and our guide said, you can all see the Temple Mount and the Dome on the Rock and that's where the temple originally stood. Underneath the Dome on the Rock, underneath where the temple um, was originally built was Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And then our guide said, and, and this is basically the pathway or the road in which Abraham would have traveled as he went from Hebron or Hebron, down this, up and down these valleys. It's a very uh, hilly area, ups and down these valleys uh, on his way to Mount Moriah. So he would have come here and then saw this huge valley, the Valley of Gehenna, and then up on the Temple Mount. And I'm standing there and I'm going, this is crazy. It, you know, it, it, it helps your faith come alive. Things like this, Wow, so all these thoughts that I had, all the times that I've read about the great journey of Abraham to Mount Moriah, all of a sudden I have like a visual. It helps me. And, and then last Sunday, and, and by the way, we didn't get to do that. The first time we went, we didn't go there. Um, and then this, this, like just a week ago, we, we got on our bus. We were at the Dead Sea over the weekend. I don't know where you guys were, but we were at the Dead Sea. And uh, <laughs> Scott, where were you? You were floating on, Scott actually got, I think you're the only one, Scott got up really early because we were leaving that morning and went out and floated one more time on the Dead Sea. Didn't even wake any of the rest of us up, just went out and, I don't know, exercised or did something like that. Anyway, so there we are, we're going, we're driving in our bus, leaving the Dead Sea, and on the way, which I didn't get to do two years ago either, um, we stopped at what was known as the traditional baptismal site of Jesus, so I don't know where you were last Sunday, but I was where Jesus was baptized by John. And you're, you're there, and you know, again, it's, I, I just, I'm, I'm going, I just, it's weird being here. Kind of replaying all these things in our mind. It, again, it's, it's, I have this belief, I have this faith um, in, in Jesus, in God, but in Jesus' activity on the earth, God's activity inside history in humanity, in Jesus, which is, by the way, different than just offering ideas about life. We should be nice, because nice is nice. We should be good. We should love one another. Don't you know that you should love one another? Isn't love awesome? Isn't love feel good? We should love one another. 
The Bible comes to us, there was a man named Abram and God told Abram to go to Mount Moriah and all of a sudden, it's like concrete. It's, it's this real time and it's this real place and to really be there was really amazing. Because I'm one of those people that loves to, um, to ask God for signs. God, I, I would love a sign. I would love to know the reality of you. I, I appreciate the book you wrote me. I mean, I really do. How many of you like the book God gave us? How many would love also like some signs? Yeah. Well, Jesus says an evil people do that. <laughs> That's our text today. Jesus says in this text, an evil and um, adulterous generation looks for signs. And so when I read that, I, and I knew it was in there, when I read that, I just thought, ouch, that hurts. That because that's what I was doing in Israel. Our guide would stop and he would say to us repeatedly, now when we get to a location, I'll let you know whether or not this is a traditional site or a historical site. The difference is this. A traditional site says that we have um, talked about this site throughout church tradition. We've discussed it. And, and, and people say, this is, this is where Jesus was. Now, who said that? Well, that was Constantine's mom who actually said that this is where Jesus such and such happened to. Well, what, what, when was she alive? Well, actually 300 years after the time of Jesus, but she had just become a Christian and she wanted to go and establish places of worship in these, in these locations. So it's better than you and I go in there and think, hey, where do you think Jesus walked, right? I mean, 300 years is better than 2,100 years, but still a lot of time has, has passed. And so we would say, listen, these are traditional sites. This is where it is traditionally spoken of that this happened or that happened. Oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's just to stand there and go, wow, this could have been here. Could have been here. A historical site is, you know, we have evidence of that this would be the spot. Like, for example, um, where I was speaking from last week in the video, um, there is the, the, the first century Temple Mount. I mean, they know that that is the first century Temple Mount. Those are the stones. And by the way, you have to see the size of these things to realize you just don't move them, right? We still don't have, there was somebody who said to me, um, there are probably two cranes in the world today that could even move some of those stones, which is amazing how they just stacked them on top of one another. But there are these stones at the front of the temple where you would walk in and like this is where you would walk in. And so I'm standing where Jesus, if he ever went onto the temple, which the Bible says he did, he would have walked on these. And so this is, he would call it, our guide would call it a smoking gun. Like this is, this is different. This isn't just somebody said, this is like real. And those were cool. Those were, those were even more cool. Those were, were more verifying. They had greater strength and greater substance, something I could really kind of sink my teeth into. And then, this is where it gets complicated. It's two years ago when I went, we were, they were describing, and this is the Praetorian guardhouse. This is where Jesus would have been tried. And, and I did, I, I got on my knees, and I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, this is where, somewhere in this room, this is where Jesus was. And it was an emotional time for me, as you can imagine. 
Then I, I go back this year and our guide says, hey, by the way, a couple years ago, we were in this Praetorian guardhouse where we thought Jesus was tried, but there's actually been some new discoveries and there was actually like a guard area within Herod's palace up in this part of the city. And as scholars are beginning to debate as to where Pilate would have come, because he came from Caesarea to try uh, Jesus during that time period, okay? Um, where would he have stayed, in this Roman guardhouse or in Herod's palace? Oh, that's a good point. Oh, so then all those thoughts and feelings that I had, they feel kind of, I don't know, used. Blah. Like I got all excited and Jesus was never even tried at this spot. And then their guide said to us, and it gets really complicated because especially for one particular uh, tradition of faith that has the different stops that Jesus went on, the different stations, um, this place where it might be where Jesus was actually tried isn't even on that locational map, right? And so there's a, there's a vested interest. No, Jesus has to, even me, I was thinking, no, 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 I want Jesus to have been tried here <laughs> where I had my first experience because then it just would have been more real. And then I had to ask myself, so am I holding on to this place or am I holding on to who Jesus is? And sometimes we can do that in our lives, can't we? We're, we're, we're grasping sometimes for these, these experiences which are very real and powerful and valuable and true. So what is it that I am looking for? What is it that you and I are searching for? It's that we, we love the teachings of Jesus, but in the end, if they're just teachings, there's gotta be more. And what Matthew does is he brings together this incredible collection of Jesus, the teacher within history, who gives us some things that we can build our lives on. Not, this is the place where I, but this is who I am. Not, this is the place where I was baptized, but this is me and I fulfilled all righteousness in my submission to God the Father at the, at the River Jordan. And Jesus, it actually was a good experience for me to have to realize, wow, like even if, they, even if they find out that it wasn't here, but it was here, that's okay. That's okay. And by the way, it was somewhere. It's not like history doesn't matter. No, because then Jesus just becomes another idea. No, in history, Matthew records, these things are taking place. And the Jesus of history and in our section today is, 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 is walking and speaking and, and giving some very powerful and profound truths that he wants people to build their lives on. Um, Jesus is a lot of things in the Bible. He's a teacher, a miracle worker, a prophet. And, and he's also a sage. This, this profoundly wise individual, and here's an understatement of the day. Are you ready for this? Jesus knew a lot. Jesus knew a lot. But that's knowledge, is that what you're talking about? Knowledge, knowing a lot? No, because that's not what wisdom is. Jesus didn't just know a lot. This is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is, well, I know this, and I know this, and I know this. Do you do it? No, not really, but I know what to do. I just don't kind of like you and financial stewardship or planning, right? How many of you know what good financial decisions look like? You know, right? Okay, two of us know, okay? How many of us practice? Starla, not me. So, see how that works? Right? Like, I'm the one, I, I, I would really, really like that. But that, does that a sound financial decision? 
Who cares? It sounds fun, right? So there's a difference between knowing knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just know what to do. It does it. And not only that, but this concept of wisdom and what Jesus is doing in Matthew's gospel where he gives these profound truths. Think Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking these profound truths. It is this integration of knowledge and life over the long haul. So it's not just knowing and doing and then forgetting and not doing. It's knowing and doing and knowing and doing and knowing and doing and knowing and doing until all of a sudden it becomes a habit. It becomes a natural response instead of always needing to go back and to stop and, okay, what do I do now and what do I do now? No, it becomes muscle memory that faith is something, by the way, this is very strong within the Jewish communities, faith is something that we exercise, that we grow in, that we develop, which explains, actually, why many of us, in terms of our, our, uh, our physical regimen that leaves us looking like this wonderful, spectacular specimen in front of you, okay? Why our physical regimen, which is hit and miss, right? Run a mile, eat a dozen donuts, right? Is kind of how we practice our spiritual life. Read our Bible, go to life group, then forget about Jesus for seven straight days. Don't forgive. So it's this... It's this hodgepodge. And so Jesus comes to us today and he is giving some profound truths about who he is. And he is saying, again, this is what it looks like. This is a life in connection to God through me. And he is dealing with disciples. He is dealing with the mass crowd, so those devoted to him. The crowds, those who are, "Eh, let's see where this goes. And the religious leaders. Crowds. Crowds, disciples, and the religious leaders. And he'll have interactions with these groups. And they all have different ideas or plans or responses to who he is. And what we actually see at the very beginning of this text is this conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders where he makes a profound statement. It is an evil generation that actually wants a sign. And I'm convicted by that because I'm a sign seeker a little bit. Right? And so I'm, wow, am I bad for doing that? Why is asking for a sign evil? Let's see what the text says. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. Why is asking for a sign evil? It is good for us to realize Jesus is talking into a real situation with real people. So he's not just giving random pieces of advice. He is speaking his wisdom into this audience, asking this question in this time period. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees, religious leaders, religious experts, those who know the law, they know what God wants, and they're doing what God wants from them. Scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign, okay? Some kind of um, uh, outpouring, some kind of work, some kind of out of the ordinary acts. We wish to see a sign from you, but he answered them rather harshly. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, it's interesting who he picks for a couple of reasons. First of all, when you think about Jonah, Jonah's not like a, yay, Jonah. Even in Israel's history, 
right? When you think of Jonah, do you think of like, now there's a guy who gets the Lord and loves him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or do you go, there's a really reluctant, selfish, egocentric um, guy that wants to keep God's blessings just to himself, doesn't really want to offer it to others. If you know the story of Jonah, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he actually knows that if they repent, God will forgive them, and he hates them. Yay, Team Jonah, right? No sign is going to be given to you except for the, the sign of, 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 of Jonah, so the first thing it calls to memory is a very reluctant know-it-all prophet who ultimately got the right answer by kicking and screaming all the way to Nineveh and back. Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's the other reason why. There's the relationship between what happened with Jonah in the miraculous um, him being caught by a fish, and oh, talk about a fish story, and then you have the other side of that, right? You have the other side of that, which is Jesus in the heart of the earth for three days and nights. So that's kind of amazing that what Jesus says is, hey, you want a sign? How about this for a sign? I'm not going to give you one now, but in the due course of time, God is going to raise me from the dead, and that will be a sign to you. Wow, that just seems intense, doesn't it? Which is kind of interesting because there are lots of other people that are kind of asking for signs. John loves the use of this word sign. And it really does create faith in people. Jesus did a lot of miraculous works, John concludes his gospel with. And these things are written so that you might know and, and have faith in life and believe in him. So John's not against signs. So what is the deal with this? And it comes back to just that very beginning of verse 38. The scribes and the Pharisees said to him, we want to see a sign. It's, it's, it's not a mother. Um, I have a child who's sick, and I need a mighty work to be done by you. It's not a centurion. My son is near death, and I need you to come in. It's, it's not even those honest, heartfelt, seeking disciples who are watching Jesus walk on water and calm a raging sea, which I, I had a lot to do with the development and the growth of their faith. No, it's arms folded. I want to see a sign. For what reason? Um, so that I can critique it, kind of let you know what's wrong with it give you five reasons why I don't believe it. That's what I want. Oh, yeah, I'm not gonna give you one. I mean, Paul, you preached this recently, right? Jesus did a sign, and what did they say? Well, you just did that through the power of the devil. Like, there, is a, there is in wisdom literature, in the Proverbs, do not answer a fool or you are like a fool yourself. Do not answer a fool or you're like a fool. Um, this has always been one of my tough ones. I, I, I love conversation slash debate arguing. My God, it's kind of, it's in my blood, right? I'm Canadian. That's kind of what we love to do. And uh, actually, we don't love to do it. As I was reminded this past uh, time in Israel, Canadians are people who like to sit on the fence and judge everyone around them. I love that definition of a Canadian. It's incredibly true. 
But here, here, here's what I find fascinating is that, is that as we begin to look at what this means and, 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 and kind of where the heart is, uh, it, it really it began to expose in me sometimes this, this desire to just put my hands on the hips and play the skeptic. And to realize, see, that's what's broken. You're not really looking for a sign. You're not really seeking. Like what you are, you're wanting one more thing to argue about. Ordinarily, my time in dealing with people who are from the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon background is when they come to my door, but recently one called the church, a Jehovah's Witness called the church, spoke with another pastor, they had a lengthy debate, um, kind of ended there, and he said, hey, our, our, uh, our lead pastor would love to talk more with you, and uh, so we ended up striking up this really awkward emailing conversation that went back and forth. We tried to connect, tried to connect. He was out of town. Um, like he doesn't live here, lives in another town. He wouldn't tell me where he lives. Um, probably knows I'd probably go try to find him. But uh, just to talk, just to talk. And in the midst of this, we finally connected. And I don't know where it was coming from, but it was, and this, again, I understand it's me saying this. As we're beginning the conversation, it was just like he wanted to argue with me. And I thought, is this me on the other end of this line? <laughs> and so I, I finally, I mean, I'm, I really am, I swear to you, I'm, I'm trying to have a conversation and he just, everything, oh yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. And I just said, listen, I mean, that proverb just went into my head. I said, I just don't see how this is gonna be beneficial. And so I'm not mad, I'm not angry, I'm not trying to, I just, I, I thought we were having a conversation, but this is just, it's, it's just getting weird. I'm feeling, I feel like in myself, I'm getting frustrated. You're obviously kind of weirding out on me. And so please don't take this personally. I just think I need to hang up. I, the Bible warns about chasing these rabbits too far into a hole. And so I did, I hung up, got like four or five emails. I said, hey, listen, <laughs> Like, I'm not trying to be weird about this or even rude about this. I just, this isn't good. Because in the end, I really did feel, first of all, that all I wanted to do was argue instead of have a conversation. And hear me, I wasn't offended. I just felt like, I mean, I get that, really. So it's not like I was offended. How dare he? No. It was just, I, I'm growing up, maybe. I don't know. Tell my mom. I'm growing up. And I just, it realized, like, in my, in my, in my soul, in my spirit, like this, is not beneficial, and that's Jesus. He loved the Pharisees, loved them, loved the scribes. Loved them so much, he said, I'm not gonna give you a sign. Like, I'm not gonna feed this insatiable appetite that you have to just argue and argue and argue. Like, I'm done. There will be a sign that will come, and it will be me being raised from the dead, and that'll, I mean, I don't, there's nothing more that I can say and actually, there's a famous parable in, in Luke 16 where Jesus actually reenacts this with Lazarus and the rich man that both die. And the rich man says, oh, I can't believe it. You know, here I am in hell. Send someone to warn my brothers. And Jesus says, they have no, they, speaking through um, Lazarus, or through Abraham, they have the prophets, they have Moses, let them. And he says, no, 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 they won't listen to them. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets, but if someone comes back from the dead, and Abraham says, oh, listen, if they are not gonna listen to Moses and the prophets, then they're not gonna listen even if a man comes back from the dead. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. No sign will be given to you except for this one, and that sign, actually, my resurrection, is actually going to be more of a sign of a judgment against your hard-heartedness. 
not just a miracle that you will accept. This is true, by the way. Is that there are those that hear about the works of God, that hear about the miraculous works of God and believe. We, we, our guide in Israel is Jewish, not Christian. He, he is of the Jewish faith, not just heritage, not just culture, not just ethnicity, but he is a Jew. Hey, I want to take you to the place where Jesus was killed, and over here is the empty tomb where he was raised from the dead. Did you just hear what you said? <laughs> well, and I, I know it. I mean, I, I really do. I appreciate the kindness and the generous spirit that he had towards us. Kind of in one-on-one, we had some very fun conversations. Remember that raised from the dead thing? <laughs> Doesn't that kind of freak you out a little bit? I mean, what if it did, you know? And we're having a very real conversation, but truly, there are those that say, yeah, I know he was raised from the dead, but I still don't believe that that means... And by the way, if you have a hard time fathoming somebody that can say that, how many of you go, yeah, I have no problem forgiving someone because Jesus was raised from the dead. I have no problem surrendering my sin uh, to the work of the Holy Spirit in me because I know Jesus Christ. How many of you still struggle with life even though Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Yeah, good, five of us, okay? Do you get that? This is the reality of it, and it comes as judgment. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And they're, they're not getting it because their hearts are already, it's, it's already been determined. And it's why one of the big reasons I, I pray for God to constantly work, not just in your heart, not just in the hearts of those people who are out there that don't have faith, but even in my own. God, may I, ever, may I never know so much that I don't know to listen to you. May I never have it all figured out that I lose the ability to respond to your spirit that is at work in the world. So what is wrong with a sign, here's what's wrong with a sign, is that in the end, they don't change hearts. They don't. They will either convince someone who already believes or the skeptic just keeps on living John 12, verse 37 says this, though he, that's Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Hmm. Yeah, same thing is true with today. Now, Jesus moves on to a, a, a second piece, a second part of the conversation, and I find this interesting because in wisdom literature, like in the book of Proverbs, there are these statements that kind of build on one another, but they're not really closely connected. It's kind of like um, just random thoughts that are loosely connected. And so after Jesus talks about this evil and adulterous generation because of their hard heart, Then he jumps over in verse 43 to, it sounds like a completely different conversation. They are kind of connected. Here's the question that the next text is gonna deal with. What could possibly be worse than never knowing the truth about Jesus? What could possibly be be worse than not knowing the truth about God's plan through Jesus? Is there anything worse? And the answer is yes, there is. 
Verse 43, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, literally deserts or deserted areas where they believe that's where demons lived. It passed through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house, and I want to change the order of these three things listed. It finds the house swept and put in order, this, this kind of really gets at those, you, you and I, that believe that a well-ordered life is really what matters most. You need to come to Jesus so you can have a well-ordered life. Swept, okay? The next word, put in order, um, is as a word, the Greek word is where we get the English word cosmetics. It means ornate or beautiful. So this demon comes back and it finds a, a house, a life that is swept and it looks beautiful, looks great, but it's what? First phrase, empty, empty. Hmm. I think he's describing Pharisees. And, and now listen, that, that's too easy to just look back and go, oh, so glad he's not talking about me. No, those, those people who have a very... Um, Swept, ordered, moral, um, high-functioning, capable, religious life that's empty. That there is no substance behind it. There is no, I would argue the true substance that he's describing here is God. And this is the problem with churches. And if it's us, may God show us kindness and mercy by revealing the truth about how we are also part of the problem. If the preaching from this place, if the, if the proclamation of our lives is one of, hey, you need to have a nice organized life like mine. You need to be able to cope with life's difficulties like mine. You need to be successful like us. May God have mercy on our souls. It's not what we're here to preach. It's not success. It's not the best life now. That is the life that is swept and beautiful and ornate, kind of like cosmetics can do to a really ugly face. It's a great picture of people who are trying to look so beautiful and so young and so attractive on the outside and are just a shell of a person on the inside. And it really says, goes on to actually say what happens. It goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first, and so it will be with this evil generation. So these evil religious leaders who just want to fight, who have hard hearts, I'm not going to give them a sign. And then this group of people that know how to be religious and never follow God, that know how to do the right thing, but it never flows naturally from a heart submissive and responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit. They're just another group of people who don't get it. What is worse than never hearing the truth about Jesus, never knowing the truth about God and his plan for salvation through Jesus Christ? Here's what's worse. Hearing it and not responding to it. Knowing it and not building your life upon, knowing him and not truly building your life upon him. See, that comes home to roost in me. 
Now all of a sudden I've got to ask, am I an orderly person or am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I learning religious tips and techniques or a life that is aware and responding to the Spirit of God and how alive it is today? Here's what the rest of the Bible says about those of us, and this is where it just rings true. I mean, everyone in this room, I guarantee you, officially after this message, has heard about Jesus. And there is a response that is expected. And for those of you that have been believers for a long time, and now you're finding a point in your life in which you're going through the motions. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, for if after they, that's us, have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again become entangled in them and overcome. The last state is far worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That's why it's probably good for us to tell our young people before they go to camp, hey, before you promise to love Jesus forever, you might want to really think through that process. Or for those of us that celebrate the decision that they make, that we remind them of that decision, not just in the heat of a, of a very passionate and powerful camp experience, but college life. Like this is a powerful text. The book of Hebrews says this, therefore we, this is the writer speaking to Christian people, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience also received its due uh, retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If, if Moses gives the law and if you rebel against the law, you die in the desert, what about those of us who've heard about Jesus? And the Bible speaks very clearly to whom much has been given. Much is required, much is expected. And by the way, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not trying to tell you, so you better try it being more holy. No, I want to call you to Jesus. I want to lead you by the power of the Holy Spirit to these truths where we build our lives not on religious, moralistic deism, which is God is out there and he's kind of helping me with my life, but he's kind of distant. No, but Jesus is real and interacting with us and we are responding to him. We are following him. We are building our life on the wisdom of this great sage so that you and I can experience peace with God, with peace with, peace with God for me to say, peace with God by trusting his work on the cross. The final statement that amazes me, and again, they, they kind of sound, okay, so first of all, this is what an evil and adulterous generation does. Then he says, hey, it's worse if you actually ignore the truth. And then the last one, he starts talking about family. Now, Matthew's the one kind of pulling these stories together, but I really think there is a connection Jesus is describing those who are hard-hearted, those who are empty-hearted, and then those who understand what it means to follow him. And this last one isn't just about family, it's actually about him. And the value and the importance of him. What's more important than family? Come on, you know the answer. Jesus. 
Jesus. You ready for this? This is what the Bible teaches. Whether you like it or not, actually, Jesus defines family. Verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he said, well, they're right here. That's your mom and those are your brothers. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I, I know, but you're looking at it through like just worldly eyes. Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he actually said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will it's, it's why the Christian life is so much more than just mental assent. It, it's so much more than just the feelings that we have or we sang a great song or I read a great Bible verse. It, it intersects with our lives and it changes the way that we live and the way that we act and react to those around us and the God above us through Jesus Christ. And who is my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So that's what real family is. That's radical. It is radical in this day and age where family and the honor or the shame of, uh, of, of holding, uh, holding out or tearing down that family unit is like the center of society. And Jesus says, well, there's something more important than just blood relations it's those who have faith in me. It's radical. It's radical. Can you imagine loving someone, imagine this, loving someone who is not your blood relation, it's not your child, but you love them more than you love your children because you have a bond, you have a bond through Jesus Christ. I mean, right now, does that just blow your mind? Like it can blow my mind. Now, what's interesting is, is that that's not actually an old or a new idea. God, from the very beginning, tells people this. The Moses actually commands that people do tough things when family members decide to stray. The Bible tells parents, if you have a rebellious son, you take that rebellious son, you take him to the city, uh, the city elders, and you tell them this is a rebellious son, and then the elders of, this, of the town stone him to death. Really? Yeah. And by the way, if a brother comes to you and entices you to chase after other gods, you stone your brother to death. Me, he's my brother. Yeah, I know, but God is God. So this text isn't just about, isn't Christian family sweet? This text is about Jesus and the value and the importance that binds us together for those of us who follow him. What holds these three stories together? First of all, we actually see the signs of a very wicked generation. We, we see signs of, of hard-heartedness. We see signs of self-righteousness. And one of the things that just calls us back to what Jesus wants is I love how, uh, how, uh, how St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter one, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks demand wisdom or seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is greater than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The signs of an evil generation are, I want a sign, I want reason, I want, I want all of these things to fit together. And what God offers instead is Jesus. The historical, the reliable, the real life of Jesus Christ who died in your place for you. There's also signs of a very faithful generation. John chapter 20 says it this way. I don't know if he's one of your favorite disciples He usually gets a pretty bad rap. His name is Doubting Thomas. And in John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, the sign-seeking Thomas. See, I don't think Jesus is against signs. The sign-seeking Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? The implied answer is what? Yes. And then Jesus speaks to us through the centuries. Blessed, happy, rewarded. That's what the word blessed means, makaros in the Greek. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I needed that. (laughs) Like I really needed that. Because I'm one, not in a hard-hearted way, who definitely seeks for a sign. And I'm grateful that Jesus speaks out and really offers me, instead of just a sign, the full reality of himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus, for what he has done. I pray that you would... uh, Speak to us through him that God, our desire and our want for a sign may be a good intention. I just know that it will never truly satisfy that the only way to please you is by faith. And that doesn't mean throwing all evidence out the window, but it does mean that there is still a connection that we need to make that involves us risking and trusting and joining a host of others who've done the same. And therefore, God, I pray that we would have lives of integrity where what we say and how we live are one. We say all of this to the glory of you, to the honor of your son, and to our greatest joy. In Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Can I say something as we close? It's a little bit off of the topic, but I feel like it's something I just need to say to you guys. As you've probably learned in the last uh, day or so, late last night, there was a terrible shooting in Orlando, Florida, where over 50 people were killed. And I just want to say this because um, I, I just, I know what is going to happen. And I would just want to be able to say, but not of us, not of us, where 50 people are killed in a gay club in Orlando um, by someone who was of Muslim descent. And I can just hear a lot of people who at some level profess to be Christian saying some very irresponsible, some very childish, very foolish things. The Bible actually says 
that God does not delight in the death even of the wicked. And I think it is just important for us as we speak about this, as we pray about this, as we post things on the God for God forsaken website Facebook about this, Will you please remember that what we say and how we speak, Paul taught this last week, every careless word we will give an account for. Therefore, may we rise up in moments like this and just be a people who believe strong things, who hold to what we believe about being true and yet have compassion and yet care. Our hearts should break. And I pray that we in that way can bring great glory to God, great truth to a very troubling situation and a troubling time. Can we do that together? Can we help even hold one another accountable with the words that we say so that God might be glorified through us? Love you guys. God bless. And we'll see you next Sunday.